nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 94. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, back this week and joined as per usual with by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. We're all together again, fellas. It's been a while, but it's it's good to see your smiling faces on a Sunday once again. How are you doing? Well, we're hanging in there. I'm not smiling this morning because I was not able to watch last night's Sixer game live. So I watched it this morning and I'm upset that the Philadelphia 76ers robbed an hour of my morning as a free citizen of this earth. They robbed me of an hour that I could be doing. Literally, I could be reading, enhancing my mind. Instead, they took away IQ points. And for that, I'm upset. But we'll get into that later. Otherwise, I'm doing okay. It's a little chilly up here in St. Paul. Uh, I think it's going to be like 70 tomorrow, which will be nice. Uh, Again, shout out to Global Warming. Big respect to Global Warming. Um, But yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I can't complain too much. It is also chilly here, but it's supposed to get warm. But I am vaxxed and waxed and ready to go a week from tomorrow. I am perfectly set. Like, let's go. Let's get that 5G microchip. It's all done. Just need another eight days, and I am I am ready. Kyle, what's the first thing? Are you going to go to the busiest grocery store in Madison, walk into, like, the dairy island, just rip your mask off? And everybody's like, oh. And you'd be like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm vaxxed. Is that what's your like first you know, thing you want to do? You know, I thought about it. And if Mifflin, was, if Mifflin was just a little bit later, Mifflin was yesterday. If that was two weeks later, maybe I would have done that. No, I'll probably just like walk down State Street or some nonsense like that. <laughs> there was no way you would do Mifflin. There, like, how could you? Could I don't think at my at, at my age, I could not even just like sniff Mifflin Street on during Mifflin. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I would sniff it and I would literally black out. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I, that is the first thing I do, and then I immediately turn around and call an Uber (laughs) and go home (laughs) because I will not be able to drive. (laughs) Just the scent of it. (laughs) Oh gosh, that makes sense. Shout out, shout out, science. Thanks for thanks for the microchip. Um, We'll be uh, processing all of Bill Gates, letting Bill Gates have all my personal information (laughs) that he can get via Google. We know you're listening, Bill. Big fan, big fans here on the podcast of yours. Thank you, Mr. Gates. Uh, I'm not sure if you have any relation to the Phoenix Suns. It's my transition to the Milwaukee Bucks performance this past week. In what I was, I, I was really looking forward to this podcast. One, because I didn't get to podcast last week. Um, and I, there was some pointed remarks about Philadelphia, where I reside. Um, potentially, what? I no. should be shipped. I should be leaving the city as soon as possible. And I don't remember who said them. Um, but I think it was Mitchell. It probably, sure. probably sounds like something Mitchell was, would say. Um, regardless, I was really excited for this podcast because we've had to go through this really long ass season with a lot of games that have seemed pretty meaningless. And then finally, we were going to have some huge games that matter. The Phoenix Suns, good team, two games against Philadelphia, 
and then turns out to kind of be a bit of a flop of a week, uh, punctuated by that awful game on Saturday against Philadelphia without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But regardless, the Phoenix Suns game did live up to its billing, I think. Ends up being a Bucks loss, 127 to 128. Giannis has 33 points, eight rebounds, two assists, a fateful fall in the final seconds of the game, which we'll get into. That was quite depressing. Uh, Chris has 26, Drew has 25. So a really good game for the big three. Uh, but the Bucks blow a 109-102 to 102 lead with four minutes to go. Giannis cramps up to start overtime, basically isn't in there for the duration of the game. Bucks end up not being able to pull it out. Really, the only reason they're in it in overtime is a couple of Hail Mary triples from P.J. Tucker and Pat Connaughton. Otherwise, it would have been worse than what it was. But I know it was a long time ago, but what do you remember? What stands out from that game to you, Kyle? Well, I don't remember much, A, because it was almost a week ago, and B, I'd gotten my second shot that day, so I was out of it by the end of the night. What I do remember is it was one of those games where Milwaukee, at least, they did everything they needed to, but at the same time, because they did everything they needed to, they were still getting crushed by Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and you know when those two are rolling, it's kind of tough to stop them and do anything about it. I vividly remember watching and I was like, okay, they're up. I feel good. Maybe I can like pass out, go to bed. I don't have to worry about it. Like they're they're They have a decent lead with a couple minutes ago. I don't know why I thought that was going to be fine. Considering the past couple weeks where Milwaukee seems to have late leads that go away. Um, then it got to Giannis. He had it for the final seconds. I'm thinking, I don't know. It's moving. Is Giannis going to just drive it on his own? And then in the last time these two teams played, they, they were totally fine with letting Giannis take that final shot. They were wanting, they wanted that. So maybe they just dared Giannis to do it again. And then Giannis must've hit a banana. Like he was playing Mario Kart and fell. <laughs> um, that was disheartening. And then after it goes into overtime and right after that, Phoenix gets a couple baskets. And then, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. Like I'm legitimately like I went, brushed my teeth, came back. All of a sudden, the game's title. I was like, what the hell happened? I saw P.J. Tucker and Pat Connaughton hit some threes. Like, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to stay up and watch this again. Then I got to the final shot, and I was and I was texting one of my friends who's a Phoenix Suns fan. So I was like, I just want to go to bed. Like, why is this game? Like, both, each of us were texting, like, can you guys stop? Like, he would text me, like, after the Connaughton and Tucker threes, like, can you guys just stop and let me win this game? And I was like, can you just stop and let me win this game so I can go to bed? Final shot happens. Okay, we're going to double overtime, whatever. And then they're standing around. I was like, oh, there's going to be some dumb bullshit happening. And there was a foul on Tucker, which I, that's not. You don't call that. If this was the playoffs, you don't call that. It's that type of call. Maybe there was contact, but there's not enough contact to alter a bad shot. And it robs Drew of completely locking down Booker. Drew had him in hell. And then you bail them out with that kind of call. So that was kind of frustrating. And then the game ends. I, I mean, Milwaukee should have closed this game out. That's really what it more comes down to between blowing the lead late and Giannis and that final play where for some reason Giannis ISO was the best they can come up with. It, it was just a little frustrating. I love the endings of those kinds of games because Booker goes up, he shoots the free throws and then the Bucks don't even attempt because there's no time on the clock to do anything. So then everybody's just kind of like standing around like a bewildered, confused look on their face. The teams are like looking at each other like, okay, <laughs> that's just how the game ended, I guess. I also liked Monty Williams after the game going, I heard a slap. 
Respect to you, Monty. Just lying to the media like that. I heard a slap. Get out of here with that. Um, so this game, the interesting things from this game to me were the fact that um, Phoenix did a really good job imposing their pace. I think they're in the bottom third of the league in terms of pace. They're very slow paced. Um, a part of that, a lot of that is because of Chris Paul. Um, and so it was like trench warfare all game long. And the thing that I liked the most was Giannis recognizing that DeAndre Ayton was going to have literally nothing for him defensively. And it's just the Giannis show. I got physically upset watching DeAndre Ayton try to defend Giannis because he just couldn't do anything. And it upset me that he kept trying because like you're embarrassing yourself out there having Giannis spin through you, walk past you, run past you, and all he can do is foul. And we saw this as well in the later Sixers game as well. I love when Giannis recognizes that he has a mismatch. Maybe it's not a physical, but a skill and athleticism, and he's able to just get by a guy and he keeps calling his own number and the Bucks go to him in the post. I love it when you recognize those sorts of situations. So that was a big theme throughout the game. Another one, uh, Chris Paul is still really good. And it seems like he and guards of his ilk, if they recognized it, could tear up the old zone drop scheme with Brook Lopez in particular, rel- like relatively easily to end the fourth quarter. Part of the the issue with the Bucks giving up that lead was Brook Lopez just had nothing for like <laughs> trying to stop uh, Chris Paul in a pick and roll. There was just nothing between him and Aiton. It's just over and over again, just like running Chris Paul running up to mid range. Chris Paul running, Brooke kind of goes out to Chris Paul, and then Chris Paul makes the easy pass to, like, nobody's covering DeAndre Aiden sufficiently. And so that was disheartening to see because it's like, I don't know if Dante was the guy who got the call to cover Chris Paul at the end or if it's Drew. I don't know how. I can't remember how that worked out. But that was concerning to see a team that it's not like Chris Paul was doing anything out of, like, the realm of possibility of somebody else with semi-decent ball handling to do. Um, he is an excellent mid-range shooter, which makes it even more difficult. But it was like, okay, this is tough. And then into OT, for a reason, Budenholzer put Brooke back out there to start OT, and he immediately gave up the bucket, and then we pulled Brooke right away. Um, so that was a little concerning to see as well. But the, the two main themes were really slow pace that the Bucks were able to match. It was a rock fight, but they were able to stick it out in a rock fight, which is good to see. But also at the end coaching slash the ability to play Brooke off the floor and our inability to pull Brooke quick enough to adjust to that. Um, that's what ended up sinking us. And I, like Kyle said, I don't know why Giannis called his own number. As you see it unfolding, like this is a huge mistake. I Why are we doing this? Somebody, somebody else call his number and take the ball from Giannis. <laughs> like you said, he fell on a banana. It was really, it was not fun to watch. So those are the two big things to me. Oh, and, and finally, that final possession, like you said, Kyle, uh, Drew, really good defense. I love that Drew recognized that they were going to let Booker just get the last shot no matter what. Drew literally walked over and physically grabbed Chris by the arm. And he's like, you're going to call guard Chris Paul. You go over there. I got this. And then for 20 seconds straight, it was like, I thought Booker was going to like do over and back. He was that close right on the half, the, the um, half court line. And so uh, respect to Drew for doing that, recognizing and be like, I'm going to call my number and doing it. PJ Tucker with that really loud slap that everybody in the arena heard. It, it's tough to tough to win. You're going to do that. But otherwise, I, I thought it was a decent game and I thought it was a lot of fun, even if it was a rock fight. I thought it was an interesting game. I, I find myself pretty frustrated after this one. It, 
to be to be blunt. It felt like this was sort of the you know five games in a row that the Bucks had lost at home. Didn't feel like they had done very much in terms of maintaining leads. Don't have like the best record against teams that have winning records, which is sort of dispiriting. Um, I th- the Giannis calling his own number at the end. This is something I think the Suns have done both games. So they they basically have gone single coverage the whole game. They've allowed Giannis to get his. He just destroys Aiton or whoever they decide to put on him, which is which is fine. They did start to throw doubles on him at the very end of the game, which was interesting. I thought he actually diagnosed the defenses pretty well when that happened and passed out of them because we've seen when the Raptors would double him in the playoffs a couple years ago, they put Kawhi on him single coverage and then they would throw some guys at him. And he would kind of look completely out of sorts. But I thought he looked decent in this one. And, and even a week ago when Giannis came back from injury, the first couple of games, teams started throwing doubles at him. And it seemed like he had difficulty like reconnecting right away. And so you're right to come back even just a couple of days later and be right back on top of it. And just defer to the fact that he's doing better already compared to even a year ago, adjusting right away back to getting used to dealing with doubles. Yeah, and we saw right – I mean, when he was having that really good stretch of play before the injury, it was diagnosing defenses really well, getting to the free throw line and picking off – picking teams apart basically with his passing, which was impressive. I feel like it's a hard mentality thing, Kyle, to be the guy all game, score 33 points and be like, okay, I've destroyed these guys single coverage. Why wouldn't I want to do it on the last play of the game to win the game? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean we've – said this before it's like we you know Giannis can do a lot of talented things and it's fine if he wanted to take the last if it ended up with him taking the last shot but it just felt as though there was no plan no one knew exactly what the final play was going to be and Giannis just had any just decided he was going to take it but he's also more it seems like he's more effective when he doesn't have the ball in his hands he's more of a threat whether he can get to a dunker spot whether you can have him flash the high post if it's you know against the zone whether he's the role man it just seems like when he doesn't have the ball is when he's at his biggest threat especially late in games but it it, I mean it's not that he took the final shot it's just that that seemingly was the best option that Milwaukee can come up with that is an issue for me and it's not like Drew or Chris were playing terrible like they were still good enough where you know if one of those two were just struggling to hit any type of shot okay fine maybe don't let them take it but it it just felt as though out of all the final shots that you could have had this is the best that you came up with and that's what kind of bothered me more than anything else and part of the issue is we're affected by the fact that Giannis literally just fell over. Had he been able to at least get a shot up, the, the complaints I think would have been way, obviously way lower. It's just the fact that there was no no contact at all, and he just dribbled it on his own foot and fell over, um, which you hope generally that doesn't happen a lot. And, and to Phoenix's credit throughout the game, like I said, it was a rock fight. They played good team defense, and so I was like going back in my mind to that final closing sequence again in the first Clippers game where it was like Drew kind of shades towards the basket. He could sit out to the corner. They swing it around, and everybody loses Giannis, and Giannis is close. Like, that's beautiful closing possession. Draw that up. In this case, I wouldn't fault the Bucks so much because it's like like you said, one-on-one against Aiden. That's worked for Giannis all game long. Um, you might be able to draw something up, but Phoenix has defended things pretty well. Um, it, the main issue is that Giannis just fell over and hopefully that doesn't happen all that often. I would prefer that they don't call his number. You can call him, but have it start with somebody else. Cause there was like 20 seconds on the clock. There's a lot of standing around a half court line. You could get something going. So that was the main issue more than anything else. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It wasn't ideal, but not the end of the world. I don't think. 
Yeah, yeah, I would I would have preferred, like you guys said, give, have someone else take the ball, maybe get Jan, maybe run a real quick screen, get Giannis the ball at the nail or at the elbow. Because when he's got when he got a sliver of space against Aiden all game, he was getting right to the rim. And then we did get the uh, Chris Middleton side out of bounds uh, three point shot that we are all love seeing it seemingly uh, go to that every time that is I, I was looking at some of the clutch stats last week and I, I've that has to be why some of part of the reason Chris Middleton numbers are pretty awful in the clutch um, and they have been for a few years is he is forced into taking that shot literally every any time that Bud is like okay we have the ball side out of bounds I guess we have to have Chris Middleton take an incredibly hard leaning side out of bounds three-pointer but anyway Suns game was interesting. End up losing in an OT. Oh, go ahead. I, I got one more thing. Tori Craig, you're on my most wanted list nowadays, dude. You come into Milwaukee and you slum it. You slum it. You can't beat DJ Wilson for minutes. And then you go to Phoenix and now you're going to play with all the effort in the world. I was sick and tired of watching him play. He was like, it was like game seven of the finals for him. Show some pride when you're here and you'll still be here. I'm That would upset me so deeply. How about you play with that sort of pride, no matter what minutes you get, man? I know it sucks. Budenholzer sucks. I hate Budenholzer, too. We all hate Budenholzer. Everybody does. Man up about it. Don't come (laughs) back here and act like your life is on the line. Show some respect for us, because that was was sickening to watch to me. Personally, I was sick and tired of watching him do that. And if I don't ever see Torrey Craig play an NBA game again, I'd be a better man for it. You know... To follow that, I guess for me it's just more if you couldn't beat Thanasis consistently for minutes, uh, I I don't know. And we've said this about Thanasis, and again, you switched Thanasis and Tory Craig and how they played. If Tory Craig played the way Thanasis did, I don't think anyone would have had a problem. But it's not like he was lighting up the world, even when he's in Phoenix. Like every time someone's like, oh, I can't believe we got rid of Tory Craig for nothing, it's like maybe getting rid of him for nothing wasn't great, but. It's not like this guy is lighting everyone up. It's not like he's, if you look at the stats, he's not playing that much better than Thanasis, which is, so I guess, what does that say? Is Thanasis actually good? And that's something Bucks fans will admit. Or is Torrey Craig not good? It's, it's probably one or the other at this point. If you compare the two, it's not like one is significantly better than the other. We just need to move on because I'm going to get too upset. I already We already got the two Sixers game to talk about. I got so much anger in me already. Let's just let's move on to the next game. Yikes. All right. Well, the next game, Bucks beat Philadelphia 124 to 117. That one did have Joel Embiid playing in it. So far fewer excuses for Sixers fans to make. Giannis, 26 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists. Middleton, 24 points, 5 assists on 10 to 16 shooting. Uh, Brooke had 16 Really a lot just across the board contributions. Drew had 12 points and 11 assists in that one. Bobby Portis has a huge game, 23 points on 9 of 11, shooting 5 of 5 from deep. Embiid ends with 24 points on 9 of 21 shooting. I think you'd take that any time. He ends up not really playing in the fourth quarter, leaves with a shoulder issue. Bucks were hot from three to start this one, Riley, and uh, really kept going for about 41 minutes, and then the the you know the shooting well really dried up. But this one, this one was... Not as close as the final score made it seem. No, it wasn't. I thought it was really impressive uh, when I was looking through it. We we got to like 122 points with seven minutes left. And I was like, oh my God, we only scored two more points in the next <laughs> seven minutes of play. And it wasn't even just all bench guys either. It was like a number of starters out there. I'm like, we really, we were half-assing out there for the final seven minutes, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, so the Bucks started super duper hot from three. Also, shout out to Chris Middleton. He was unconscious through the first three quarters. Um, I think he was like perfect from the floor. I don't know if it was the full first half, but he was playing really, really well um, with Tobias Harris, I think, draped on him for most of the game. Tobias Harris, not a real NBA player. Um, so, like, the the issue for Philly is that Joel Embiid takes a lot of shots, and that's fine most of the time, but he takes his time, and he's fat, and so he's out of shape by the third quarter comes around. And are the Sixers a real team? Are they a real playoff team? Because if I come into this game, and both games really, and we hear all the time about how Philadelphia, they finally made it. Here comes MVP, Joel Embiid. And they come out here and they play with such little pride. And they play, get played off the court. And they need the Bucks to literally miss every shot for the final seven minutes to make it look halfway respectable. Um, I'm not even sure if I would credit so much us because it was just a lot of really good shot making. Where's the pride from Philadelphia to come out here? The the Bucks start dropping off in the second half and they can't do anything about it. They can't take advantage of it. And I don't know. It's just upset me. I'm I'm trying to think of more takes from this game. I, I have the most recent one more in my head more than the one on Thursday. So you might have better takes, guys, than me. But mostly I just got upset having to watch Philadelphia two times this week. You know, I actually feel the opposite. I feel great beating them twice. First time, well, they didn't have him be. We didn't have our MVP. You saw Ben Simmons, and he was a bum. Okay, fine, whatever. You blew a 20-point second-half lead in which the Bucks only scored like 30-something points. And then we go into this game. The Bucs scored 31 points in the first half the first time these two teams played. They scored 40 in the first quarter in this in this game. That was – it was great. It was beautiful seeing all those shots go down. I personally like seeing Philly suffer. So for me, seeing all those shots go in and seeing them jump out to that lead and never look back, that was kind of – it was a start to finish. Brooke Lopez – Hell of a job, did great work on defending Embiid. Embiid was struggling. PJ Tucker would come in at times, guard Embiid, and Embiid struggled. I don't care if he was not 100%. That, whose fault was that for playing him that game? Especially if he had played the night before. That's not my problem. That's something y'all should have figured out. Like, don't get mad at me taking glory and beating up a team. They played on the second night of a back to back. Ben Simmons was out. Ben Simmons wasn't going to change anything. You can't. What what was he going to do that would have made things better? Maybe instead of getting blown out by twenty halfway through the third quarter, it would have been ten. Still would have lost anyway. Shout out to the shout out to the whole team. Shout out especially to Bobby Portis. Just came in hot fired, nine of eleven shooting, twenty three points. It was great. The final score makes this look a lot better because between Milwaukee not being able to hit a shot for the final seven minutes and the bench, wow, that was. Um, that was ugly. <laughs> those final those final minutes with the bench where they could not get it past half court was rough. But I don't know. I, I, I just fully enjoyed all of it. It made me happy. It made me feel great that first excuse was we didn't have our MVP. Well, you had your MVP and you still got the doors blown off of you. Then you're going to turn on and say we didn't have our all defensive guy. Maybe you shouldn't stop relying on dudes that can't make the court. Whose fault is that? Not mine. My my one question about this game was, did Brooke Lopez do a really good job on Joel Embiid, or did Joel Embiid just have a really tough time getting things going? Because I was, when you watch the game, yes, he's 
he's more capable than anybody else simply because of his size of guarding Embiid. Um, PJ Tucker can like get in his way, but at, at the end of the day, he's still got like half a foot and, you know, however many pounds on him. Brooke Lopez, there was a lot of times where Joel Embiid would do like some simple on the ball moves in the post and Brooke would bite on the first one. And then uh, Embiid, when he did make it, it, he would get like this, I go on pretty easily around Brooke. Is it simply a matter of just having a big body on Joel Embiid and like challenging Joel Embiid to be like, okay, try to beat us and surviving it? Is that essentially like what the defensive system has to be? Because like like you said, Kyle, we haven't seen the Sixers with both Simmons and Embiid. I don't watch Sixers basketball, so I don't know how those guys even function next to each other these days. But if it's is it mostly a matter of Brooke Lopez is effective because he can just stand in front of him? Is that the main thing? We think? I, I think that's a big part of it. It's a big enough body because there's not a lot of dudes the size of Embiid that can stay with him to, and have the talent to, you know, not overly foul him. And I think that was one of the bigger things that Brooke was doing pretty well. He wasn't fouling. It's not like he was – Embiid wasn't drawing a lot of fouls. It, it was at least more than his normal rate, especially when he plays Milwaukee. It, I think that's why you have someone like Brooke Lopez. You know, when we first got him, I was like, okay, well, you can put him on Embiid if you ever face him in the playoff series. That This is exactly what Milwaukee has Brooke Lopez for. That's why you still have the value of Brooke Lopez. And now that you have P.J. Tucker, if Lopez is in foul trouble or isn't getting it going, then you can throw P.J. Tucker out there. I think that's a lot of what makes it so much better. I think Embiid is someone that definitely needs a rhythm, definitely needs to get into a flow. And once he's in that flow, he is very good and very unstoppable. But if you disrupt it enough, kind of like with Drew, where Drew can put you in hell just because of his physicality, just because you can't you can't outmuscle him and you probably can't beat him on speed. And it's kind of the same thing with Embiid and Brook Lopez. Embiid can't just outmuscle Brook and he doesn't have the speed to get past Brook or PJ Tucker. So I, I think for what we ask Brook to do. And because you don't have to worry as much with switching with Philly, I think it was I I still I think he did a good job. I want to give him props because too many there have been a lot of teams that have tried the throw your biggest guy and beat and it doesn't work. And Brooke did a great job at it. I think the not getting fouls is a huge part of it. I, only seven free throw attempts on twenty one field goal attempts is is, is really good for guarding Embiid. Interesting. I think the big body is a huge part of it, but he, he's also sort of defensively, tactically sound. He's not going to do those stupid fouls, which you could see other people do. He's not going to try and guard him too close in the mid range. And what I would like to see, actually, I'd be really interested to see this is when you did see him be getting that rhythm, he was hitting all those mid range jumpers, which you would normally say, okay, we'll let him do that. But he's hitting those at like a 60% clip this year, which is crazy. So in a playoff series, that's how he's going to get his rhythm. Knocks down two or three of those, all of a sudden the big the big kind of comes up a little closer to him. And then that's when he gets, he's able to get by him. And you saw him overpower Brooke occasionally, but I would really be interested to see if Bud or another team is facing Philly in a long-term series, if they start throwing more doubles at him, because you, you could see them basically isolating and beat on that side. And we've all seen the issues with the Bucks overhelping, but I could try and I could see Bud trying to throw a little more pressure at him because Embiid has said, Apparently Toronto is like one of the few teams that really has learned how to get the ball out of his hand. And we all know what they're able to do. They're, they're, they're always able to try and throw two or, you know, one to two to three defenders occasionally on someone to get the ball out of his hands. But I, I, I think Brooke did a good job, not just because he's a big body, but he's aware of Embiid's tendencies. He's clearly studied them and knows what he's going to do. And Embiid, I mean, he's a minus 19 on the game, 
which obviously single game plus minus is, is what it is, but only has three rebounds and three assists too. Like clearly wasn't really impacted the game much beyond he was occasionally making some mid-range jumpers. So I, I thought it was a really good game in that respect. Um, even with, I think the one thing that, and he also did guard Giannis pretty well. We've seen that kind of come and go. I thought Giannis really struggled until midway around the third quarter. I mean, I think he only had eight points a half or something and was clearly having some issues trying to score at the rim. Um, and he was the most troubling part was I think something we've all seen where he all of a sudden starts just shooting mid range jumpers. Cause he feels like, Oh, I'm getting kind of stonewalled, but as I try to go to the rim, so I'm just going to pull up and shoot this stuff. So credit to him for at the very least, okay, let's try and find some other matchups. Let's try and get me, you know, moving around the ball and ending up with 27 points on 15 field goal attempts. I, I mean, that's, that's insane. That's ludicrous. Um, I mean, the one frustrating part was 10 of 18 from the free throw line. And we're kind of, we kind of see, I saw him clearly feel out of rhythm. I felt like in that game as Philly was doing like the counting on the sideline and all that kind of stuff. I, li- I like watching Giannis's free throw routine only because like he looks perplexed that he's at the free throw line. Like he'll miss the first one and he'll like, he'll squint to the best. He's like, he said, what's happening? Where am I right now? And then he'll airball the second one. I'm like, well, <laughs> that didn't help. I guess. He seems confused why he's there. Um, but credit to him to like, even though this is the thing with Giannis is like, he has to continue to attack because racking up the issues for the other team on the, even if he's struggling from the free throw line, obviously we'd prefer if he could just make all his free throws because that would make the game a lot easier. But if you have a team that isn't able to stop you at all, you have to keep trying simply because there's the odds that you're going to rack up fouls for the other team. You might get some and ones. And if you are on for the night, this can make life so much easier than, and I don't want him to, again, fall in love with, like you said, the mid-range. And then he made one three, I think it was in the third quarter. And then he he did the usual like shooter thing where like he stood there like five seconds after the basket was made. I was like, okay, man, don't, don't, <laughs> again, don't fall in love with the jumper, Giannis. Don't do that. But uh, yeah, g- good for him to wake up in the second half. And even Joel Embiid throughout the third quarter was still doing a good job defending, but Giannis didn't let him necessarily stop himself because I still think he took 14 free throws in the second half, I'm pretty sure. Um, so he kept attacking. So good for you, Giannis. Keep attacking. And also, shout out, Kyle. You were spot on. The, the first probably six to eight minutes of basketball was some of the best we've seen offensively the Bucks play. It, it was insane in terms of driving. All the cutting was working. All the players were playing off of one another. It was sort of the pinnacle of what we want for, in terms of read and react defense. So um, really nice to see the Bucks. Take that one. I don't think there's a lot of excuses wire to wire. Any comments on the absolutely atrocious bench performance in the final minute or so and Bud needing to put the starters back in with 7.6 seconds left or whatever? Good God. It was just like, <laughs> good thing Milwaukee had that lead far, like a large enough lead because that was just brutal. And it was more the, there's no reason why they could not just simply close this game out between unable to defend unable to inbound the ball unable to get past half court and handle a press it was just i mean i was laughing when it happened just because it was like this is because i still felt good about milwaukee winning and then when bud decided to throw honestly the starters back and i was like okay please throw the put the adults back in the room we gave the kids a try it didn't work <laughs> you know i Good on Bud for just deciding I'm just going to do what I need to to get the win. Just get out of here. We'll we'll talk about it later. I'm sure he tore into them at some point, you know, at one of the practices. But 
I was just laughing because it was I was I've been waiting to send the final tweet on the brew hoop account. I was like, okay, let me just send the tweet and just would not end. I was like, this is the longest, longest like 30 seconds ever. This took way too much time. It was it was kind of funny, but it was also this is why sometimes rookies don't play as much as we think they should play. Did we ever um was there any sort of news as to why uh Jeff Teague did not play? Was it just like a concern? Because I think part of the issue for our uh our wonderful bench crew is the fact that none of them can handle the ball really at all. And so uh and that was kind of throughout the game as well when when the Bucks did struggle. Um part of it was the fact that some of the lineups that Poonholzer was putting out there, it was like Giannis is going to be the lead creator. I was like, okay, I guess. So I, I'm assuming Jeff Teague had to because I think the final score um, was affected by the starters played quite a number of minutes in fourth quarter, but it seemed like they were up 20 ish and they just kind of were like lackadaisically just walking up and taking a three that just comically missed. Um, I think if you have like a Jeff Teague out there to take over in those sorts of minutes and help uh, break up the rotation, that probably helps out. So I would credit Jeff Teague's absence, both with that final (laughs) closing sequence of horror um, and also with uh, the game be a little bit closer, it probably could have been even wider had we had that second ball handler off the bench. I didn't hear anything about why Teague didn't play. It is this it, was this, it's a good point though. I mean, this was like you saw a nine man rotation. This could theoretically be uh, a playoff rotation. It felt like if it felt like if Teague was going to get in, it would be in a game where okay, Connaughton's like oh of four from three. Clearly, he's not being really effective this game. Forbes might not have it. Let's get Teague in there and maybe give like have someone who else can handle the ball. Because what Dante was not super good in this game in terms of shooting. He did have six assists, so there is that. But he, some of his just playmaking decisions in that game just were outrageously frustrating. Like, why are you going up in the air and trying to throw like a behind the back pass or whatever to the dude in the corner and? you're not throwing it anywhere near him. That was very, very frustrating. But I, I think that was part of it was Connaughton Forbes were looking really good off the bench at the very least. Um, and then we had Saturday's game where no Joel Embiid, no Ben Simmons, Bucks win 132-94. to 94. I mean, the starters barely play half the game. I don't even know if any of them played half the game. I mean, Giannis had 24 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists in 23 minutes. It was honestly a really tough first half for both game, both teams. And then third quarter, Bucks kind of blow it out. And then they end up winning. I don't have a whole lot to take away from this game, honestly. It was like Bucks just completely destroy them in the second half. The Sixers were missing everyone good besides Harris, I guess. And he didn't play very well. So uh, I don't know. That was great, too. That was, great. <laughs> that was wonderful. It was talk about a cathartic second half. It was, I mean, the first half was ugly. Neither team could hit a shot, which is what happens when you have a game that starts at 2.30 in the afternoon. Congrats, ESPN. You got your prime time, your prime matchup, in which one team was completely fraudulent without their two players and got ran off the floor by Jordan Warren, the gang. It was, I mean, it's weird because at one point, the Sixers were only down three, mid, like midway through the third quarter. And then Milwaukee went on this berserk run. At, at, I think they were, they were. It was a three point lead. Bud took a timeout, and then Drew immediately got like five points. Like he had a three, and then he got a two. And then Milwaukee just ran away with it. And by the end of the third quarter, it was eighty six sixty three. 
It, it just felt like everything Milwaukee was doing. Milwaukee just hit every possible shot. Giannis was getting to the hoop. Pat Connaughton was getting and ones. Giannis did a pull up three and drained it. It was great. Like I said, perfectly cathartic, perfectly beautiful basketball. It completely outlined some of the negatives, which was they could not handle a zone. For some odd reason, Milwaukee could not figure out Philly's zone for the whole first half. And I think it clicked where they decided instead of just chucking up threes, just throw the ball to the high post to Giannis, and then Giannis can take it from there. Whether Giannis would get to the rim or he would able he was able to make passes to the corner, it just seemed to work. Philly just, just had no rim protection. Even with Dwight Howard on the floor, they could not defend against at the rim. But shout out to the bench. They completely dominated. I think they had like 70-something points. Jordan War came in and had like 13 points in the whole fourth quarter. It Like I said, it was just great to watch. I Bobby Portis should be a six-man-of-the-year candidate, in my opinion. It, it was a beatdown. It was great. I enjoyed every single one of it. And for Pearson and Konu at Still Letter or whatever, go cry some more because – I enjoyed every second of that, and I hope your bum ass was miserable throughout the rest of your evening. Uh, the thing about the first half, well said, Kyle, especially that final point. I really want to come back circle around <laughs> on that. Um, generally, the first half, it wasn't even – so it was difficulty with the zone, but it wasn't even like they weren't able to get shots on the perimeter because there were times where they would swing the ball a couple of times and find like Chris open or Pat open. It wasn't or, like Brooke, whoever it was. Um, and they just weren't making the threes, especially in talk about a contrast, the first half of the first Philly game versus the first half of the second Philly game. I want to talk about uh, small sample size theater. Um, so they just weren't really making threes. And so again, it comes into a rock fight. And then for a long stretch, it was like Giannis Vige White Howard, which, you know, maybe a couple years ago would have been not even halfway interesting, but now it's like, especially not interesting. So it's just like, okay, here comes Dwight. He kind of rebounds it and here comes Giannis and okay. He goes against Dwight. That's cool. And it's just like that first stretch. So it wasn't aesthetically pleasing basketball. Um, you're right though, that the, the third quarter, um, again, not aesthetically pleasing. It, it was a lot of Seth Curry step up threes, like walk up threes. And he, he just happened to be hot for a couple of possessions. Um, and then, like Kyle said, the uh, Bucks turned it on. Part of it was ball movement. Um, a lot of it was, like you said, Giannis just gets to the high post. Another stretch where um, I don't think Howard was on the floor. So whoever they had, I think it was just like Danny Green got stuck guarding Giannis that or something. Anthony Tolliver, one of those two. Yeah, Anthony. <laughs> shout out to Anthony Tolliver. Who, he, the man has had to guard Giannis in Detroit. I I, I so many other stops. Sacramento, Portland. He's, he's on a 10-day yeah. contract, and he, they're like, Dude, we need you to guard Giannis again. He did not come back for this. He does not deserve this. Oh. No, no, he didn't. He seems like a nice guy. So I, respect to you, Anthony, for trying. But it is like a lot of it was Giannis broke it open. And then we need to have a conversation about Tobias Harris. I know that the Sixers didn't have Joel Embiid. And I know they didn't have Ben Simmons. But this is ostensibly a playoff team. And during that third quarter, they, they played, again, with no pride. If I was a Philly fan, I would be so upset. And watching Tobias Harris, he got lost on the simplest ball action. His guy to guard was Pat Connaughton, and Pat Connaughton just walked past him multiple times. And Tobias would be like, 
I know people can't see because it's a podcast, but I'm just a bewildered face, my hands kind of in the air, but I'm not looking at my defensive assignment at all. And it's just over and over and over again. Who You talk about overhelping. Tobias Harris was like, he was doing a human traffic cone impression, overhelping and stepping on his own teammates. And there would be all of a sudden four Sixers on one guy for no apparent reason, just because Tobias Harris fell over himself and like fell onto his teammates, thus giving up an open basket. And it wasn't just Tobias Harris. He was the biggest problem because he just doesn't pay attention, which you got paid more money than God to play offense. Not a great offensive player. Everybody who said that, oh, I would take Tobias Harris over Chris on offense, that's disrespectful, man. Watching Tobias Harris, he there is fluidity, but not to the level of a Chris Middleton, where a lot of it is like isolation. I'm going to try and break you down with like a lot of like shoulder shimmies, and he is effective, but watching him play is uh, it's a travesty, and I would be supremely upset if I was a Sixers fan. And, and throughout that entire third quarter, it wasn't just him. Nobody could play defense for the Sixers. They were losing guys left and right. Giannis would like get in the post. He just, oh, there's Drew. Drew getting an uncontested bucket. Where is the pride to step up and defend the basketball? I, I thought Hubie was going to go in even harder than he did on the Sixers. And I'm surprised Doc didn't lose his mind because it was I would have been so upset as the coach, as a fan, to watch that team. And they were close. And then they just gave it up. They just gave it up. Like what it, the Milwaukee played well, but the Sixers played even worse. And that was the difference of the third quarter. Was it, it, Both forces came together to blow the game open to a 23-point lead, and the game was over. That's, just, that's awful from a... From the playoff team who has decent talent on the bench, apparently, as I've been told, I didn't see it. Who saw it? Did you see it, Kyle? Adam, did you see, did you see well, talent on the, the team? The bench had 76 points, and the Sixers bench could not put any cohesiveness whatsoever. I hear, I mean, Sixers fans, no one hypes up their youngsters better than Sixers fans. And no one's more deluded about their youngsters more than Sixers fans. Like Shake Milton. He's fine. He's not. He's that literally great. fine. He's literally, he's literally fine. fine. Maxi, he's fine. Like they have all ties. Tybal, if he's still there or whatever. Like all these dudes are fine. And Philly decided we're not going to trade these guys to get an upgrade. And Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry, as I said, he would oh help his team. Oh my god! But the Sixers decided we didn't want to do that because all the Sixers care about are assets. The Sixers are what Danny ages if Danny Age actually could keep his assets together and cared enough. Like it's. It's just hilarious that they did all of this losing to get a coward that can't shoot and a dude that unfortunately cannot be on the court 90, like 70% of the time when you need him. And then they decided, instead of keeping Jimmy Butler, they decided to throw max money at Tobias Harris. Let's remember, if Buck Twitter wants to be mad about Chris Middleton and his contract, look at Tobias Harris's contract and then be thankful that at least Chris Middleton has been productive. I want to ask you this. So I, I, we have no other talk about this game in particular. Adam, you're on the ground. I love when we play the Sixers because we get to have the in-city reporting. Do these insane people who who nightcap, or nightcap as Sixers fans, do they actually believe that this team could win a finals? Do they seriously, if you hit them with the truth serum, would they say, I think this team can win the finals? Yes. Oh my yes, god. Yes, because they Oh my support. god. Are well, you well, serious? <laughs> How can they not? They need to believe irrationally in if a team is slightly above 500, you need to believe that they can make a huge run to the finals. <laughs> and win this whole thing. 
Now, I, now I don't want to say that the confidence has gotten to the point where, as I watched the game on Saturday with some of my Philadelphia friends, and um, there was no Embiid, there was no Simmons, and the spread was nine and a half. Um, and, and I don't want to say the confidence is at the point where they thought midway through the first quarter, I think we can, I think the Sixers can cover that nine and a half point spread. Um, and I don't want to say he put, you know, some change down on the Sixers to cover mm-hmm. that spread. Mm-hmm. And then they continue yeah. to lose by about 40 points. But um, if you're curious where the confidence level is at, it's there because Maxi, mm-hmm, what can he uh-huh. do out on the court? Yeah. Oh, and we got yeah. Matisse uh, and uh-huh. Curry he just brings like, a, you know, a scoring attitude that we didn't have before. Danny Green, of course, brings some scoring acumen, does have five points in this game um, when you're basically missing all of your other scorers. But, you know, that's where it's at. I would say they're pretty confident. Now, they the Sixers didn't – we just have to – we do have to say this, right? Okay. I, no, I, I love, we don't. Uh, we don't. Don't go no, any further. Right, <laughs> just kidding. Just, okay, just, you, can, I, you can say it. You I can want say no it. excuses. We've Milwaukee has tried. They beat Philly – with Embiid, without Simmons. They beat Philly with Simmons, without Embiid. They beat Philly without both. I'm telling you, Philly needs to decide if they do want to play against the Bucs. And also, Seth Curry needs to just shave because you can't have a messy-ass beard like that that can't connect. You got to shave that shit, bro. Here, here's my thing about the Sixers, and I haven't had to deal with I've unfollowed a lot of people on Twitter, which has helped reduce the amount of, like, inadvertent Sixers content I get on on Twitter. So that's good. The thing that I see about them is they feel a lot like the us of the past two seasons where it's like you're, and they're not even succeeding at the rate that we were, but it's like, okay, d- pretty good, um, you know, regular season team, new coach, um, our main stars playing really, really well, like MVP level ish. Um, but I, I just can't imagine with this team, with, with the stars that they have, stars again with the heaviest i mean it's doing the heaviest lifting that word has ever done in all of human history but it just i don't see on this team and again i haven't watched them full health but they didn't radically alter anything about this team what have they changed about this team in the past years like kyle said they got rid of jimmy butler who was like the like attitude guy i wouldn't say joel Embiid has a good attitude he's like does that guy have a winning attitude all they did was they kept the two guys who have been losers the entire time they're there. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are losers. And they kept them, and then they just shuffled the deck around them. And they have Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, respect you for the Celtics run. You're also a loser. You're as much of a loser as Budenholzer is. That's all they did. And they're going to get to the playoffs. And I cannot see, again, I saw a team without their stars or whatever. I'm being a hater. But how are they going to survive a playoff run? of more than two series. Joel Embiid like runs out of gas after two quarters. Philly needs the one seed more than Milwaukee or oh my Brooklyn God. needs the ones. Like if Philly doesn't get the one seed, they're losing in the second round to either Milwaukee or Brooklyn. They don't have, I don't think they have the firepower to keep up with Brooklyn. And I don't think they have the personnel to beat Milwaukee. Philly needs to get that one seed so they can at least get maybe a Knicks, possibly Celtics, possibly Hawks. Like they need one of those, you know, scrubs to face in the second round and then get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But they they need that one seed. If they don't get it, they're in trouble. 
one final point and then we can be done with the game. Also, Jokic is MVP. No more of this Embiid MVP talk. I know. I'm just trying to temper my my haterade here with a little bit of like, oh, yeah, sure, he's an MVP. One final thing. Thank you, Mike Budenholzer. You didn't rest anybody. I'm sure you're going to come up with a reason as soon as you saw that Embiid was up. be like, oh, yeah, and, and Giannis stubbed his toe on an ice cream machine. You could have said that. Instead, you did what I asked for, and you had the full health roster out there. You said, we're going with all our starters. I don't care who's on the other team. Joel Embiid's out there. Ben Simmons is whoever it is. We're going all out, and you won both games. Thank you, Mike Budenholzer, for stepping up, and I hope you do the same against the Nets as well. Let's keep this streak going against the good teams in the East. That's what I want to see. Well, I was going ha- to have us move on now. I was going to have us talk about the uh... – a quick do a quick temperature check on the team. That was before I realized the Sixers wouldn't really be playing their full squad. But I, I, I do think it might still be relevant because I the proliferation of national articles that came out this week that were basically like, okay, the Bucks have taken a different tact. I think I read four or five of these. Bucks have taken a different tact. They're sure they're losing more, but they're more well prepared than ever. I believe in this team more than ever, despite losing more. I, I'm just curious. Do you guys feel that way too? Have has has the performance this year matched up with with the seemingly national perception that they're getting now? Uh, where are you guys at on on the team? I'm at the. They made the change. They made adjustments and changes that had to happen because they couldn't run it back again because it would not have worked. So they made the changes they needed to. They went through a rough patch. It was rough. It was ugly, but they still did it. I think this team is at least better equipped for a playoff run. I think the personnel is a little bit better. It's better than the last two years. Well, maybe not two years ago. Definitely better than last year's group. There's just more options. You know, you have a guy like Bobby Portis who can come off the bench or he can start or he can close the line. Like Bobby Portis can be out there. He can get you buckets and do a good job. P.J. Tucker is someone that you can throw out there, have him do switching, kind of like what Marvin Williams had done, and still provided some corner threes. You have a guy like Brent Forbes who is an actual shooter who can shoot, unlike you know when Milwaukee tried with Kyle Korver and everyone else. You have an improvement from Dante DiVincenzo. He has improved the season that has helped. And obviously you have the clear upgrade in Drew Holiday over Eric Bledsoe. So you have all of these pieces that you didn't have last year you have all these upgrades and while they are mart like they're not other than drew they're not significant upgrades they're not you know night and day but you you know you instead of having robin lopez you have bobby portis and pj tucker instead of having george hill come off the bench you have jeff teague who can at least you know handle the playmaking abilities when you need to Instead of having Wes Matthews as your starting two, you have Dante DiVincenzo, and for all of his faults, he still can do more than what Wes Matthews can. And that's not including Pat Connaughton playing a lot better than I expected, and I give him props for that. I thought he was going to be ass. He has been pretty solid. <laughs> Good on him. You, you were not alone in that, Kyle. Everybody right. thought that. <laughs> like I am admitting I was wrong about Pat Connaughton this season. I was wrong. I'm glad to be wrong. So he has been better. You have Brent Forbes, a good shooter, and compared to Kyle Korver, at least tries on defense. You just have these marginal improvements, but those marginal improvements go so far. And if it wasn't for the fact that Brooklyn had three top 10 players on their roster, well, okay, maybe not top 10, but top 15 players, and you have Philly who, 
I mean, yeah, they played well, but again, they're kind of like what Milwaukee was the past few seasons where you do really, really well now. This team can, this is a team that can make the run. This is a team that, you know, I think a Eastern Conference Finals is very attainable. I think making the finals is very attainable. Obviously, it depends on who they get in the second round. They get Brooklyn or Philly. I, I'll have different answers for that. But I, I feel decent about the team. There's de- definitely still some question marks. You know, they still, for some reason, struggle against the zone. Budenholzer himself decides to play zone themselves, and I don't know why. So there are definitely hesitations. There are definitely concerns. But I do feel better going into this postseason than I would have expected going into the season in general. This hurts me a lot because I just got done insulting the Sixers a lot. We might be frauds too. Uh, the main <laughs> difference between us and Philly is we kept our losers too. We kept all our losers, but we got Drew Holiday. Whereas the Sixers got rid of a guy like a Jimmy Butler. We went and we shook it up and got Drew Holiday. And so I I would agree that we could we the level of possibility is a lot higher with this team. I just don't know if they're going to reach it because there are still times where, yes, we'll play excellent, but there are times where we, we still don't know how to switch. It's still a lot of like Drew having to guide everybody out there, and it's a little too late in the season to hope we're going to click on that. The zone, again, we just sort of do it. We do it okay. It just kind of gets thrown out there. And so there's flashes of possibility. You you could, in theory, take any of the teams in the East. Um but I'm not going to go out there and say I, I'm extremely confident because we've had stretches of poor play as well. And there are still basic fundamentals to how we want to play that we just haven't gotten drilled down. I, I love, I'm not going to say I love Bobby Portis. I respect Bobby Portis. I'm still a little nervous because there are times on defense where it's just like either a mismatch or he kind of loses his place. And there's only oh so much everybody else around him. If there's a competent team like a Brooklyn um, if they're able to take advantage of stuff like that, we'll just have to see. Um, I feel like our ceiling is higher than the past two seasons, but I can't come around here and say, oh, you know, look at the Sixers. Ha ha. You kept all those losers. We kept a lot of losers, too, except we got hopefully a winner in the lead guard. And that's going to be the difference. So I would say I'm like 50 50. I'm lukewarm on this team. I, I'm Excited to see the playoffs. I think we'll be competitive in the playoffs. I don't feel like I did the past two seasons coming off the regular season. Like, oh, we're the team to beat. We are not the team to beat, I don't think. I'm not sure if there's anybody in the East that's the team to beat. It's Brooklyn just because of the names that they have, and those are good guys. Um, But it seems relatively wide open, and the Bucs are in the hunt, which is all I can really ask for, given the circumstances of this season. I think with us keeping, I think of the losers. So we're thinking (laughs) Giannis, Chris, Brooke, Bud. Uh-huh. Are we including Pat? I guess we'll include Pat Connaughton. But, you know, Dante wasn't there year one. We tried to get rid of Dante. So, I mean, and they he's, tried a loser. To get rid of Dante. He, he's a loser, too, but it's not his fault. He's here. Right. You know, instead, I mean, Chris, they decided to give a contract. Brooklyn decided to give a contract. Giannis, you keep. So it's more of a Philly decided to keep two guys that couldn't do it and decided not to build around them and figured let's replace the coach and that will solve all the problems. When you get a coach that also, as you said, Riley, other than one run in which he got two good players on a trade in one offseason and LeBron self-capitulated for like the 80th time at that point, congrats, you got your one ring. But we saw what happened in L.A. 
it's not like Doc is that much better than Budenholzer. Mm-hmm. If you had to, if I had to pick one or the other, I may lean towards Doc. I may mm-hmm. only because I feel as though Doc tries and he just has a bunch of bums at times. While Budenholzer, it's like, are in this this could be Budenholzer's chance to prove me wrong. Budenholzer will try and do things like go zone, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and not have any justifiable reason for doing it. Doc will at least say, well, we tried doing this, this, and this. It just didn't work. Or I tried doing this, and I got it wrong. So there's just more the I don't trust Budenholzer to make the right decision without a logical reason why. Adam, how do you feel about the team? Uh, I would say I'm leaning more towards the Riley side of it. In particular, the, the Suns game had me pretty low. I just found if you're up 109, 102, and you're all of a sudden just offensive, like just case in point, love Drew Holiday. He's awesome. But literally the first play after they're up 109, 102, they come back and they set like a, a Giannis sets a pick for Drew Holiday, which we're all like, oh, wow, that's cool. I mean, this Drew Holiday, Gian, Giannis is screening. That's a fancy new thing. We've got Drew Holiday. He's great at driving and all that stuff. Giannis sets a pick. Drew Holiday moves like two feet to the right, just uh-huh. pulls up for a three. And it's like, what are you doing? You could have just, you could have, it's the same separation as if you shot a step back jumper. Giannis isn't doing anything off of the roll. He's just literally there as a body. He's honestly not even setting that good of a screen because he probably just wants to roll or prepare for the ball. And it's, it's stuff like that that's so frustrating where it's like, okay, you throw out the zone because we all wanted to see Mike Budenholzer try new stuff. Well, why are you, like, like Kyle said, why are you trying the new stuff? Are you throwing it just to give him another look, which is, which is cool? Or are you like, okay, the personnel this other team has on the floor feels like they wouldn't be able to beat a zone right now. And I'm going to, and I purposefully have these players out here right now that I think will work well in a zone defense. Or are you just saying, all right, we're out of a timeout. Let's do a zone. How about that guys? Huh? How about we mix it up a little, huh? He's well, like, guys are going to get crazy right now. Let's zone it. <laughs> and the same thing with, with the switching and, and like granted the switching, so much better than to start the year. Holy God, mm-hmm. was it awful to start the year. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, that was terrible. And it, it, embarrassing, honestly, some of the, the miscommunications that they had. You're seeing a lot more off-ball switching. You know, you'll see Brent Forbes matched up on a big guy and he's like telling someone else to come over to him, which like mm-hmm. huge growth, huge growth in that, in that way. But there's just a lot of stuff where I, I don't know if they're instituting this stuff and taking it to its like maximum logical conclusion, or if they're just like, okay, we need to try new stuff for the sake of trying new stuff. Or are you trying new stuff and being like, okay, this new thing isn't 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 fully being utilized to the to the length that it should be. Okay, are we fully utilizing Giannis as screener role as we can? Are we fully utilizing Drew Holiday as a driver? Are we fully utilizing the switching to the best of its ability? In the Phoenix game, that was the that was the worst example of it because. Bud goes small, but only for the last minute. And it was essentially reactive as opposed to proactive. Does does he want to dictate the terms that the other team is operating on? Or does he want to let the other team dictate the terms upon which his team does? And, and it seems like that's that's still kind of what we're doing basically this whole season. Like the, the Phoenix defense, it felt like in those final few minutes, was completely dictating what the Bucks could do. Their defense was deciding what the Bucks would do. And then on the other end, Phoenix was just getting whatever they wanted. Did it, it didn't matter. Chris Paul was figuring out whatever he wanted. It didn't feel like they were making choices specifically 
based on the Bucks defense or the Bucks defense wasn't forcing them into decisions that they didn't want to make. And it felt like the complete opposite on the other end. So I guess for that reason, I am still a little down on the team. And there wasn't a specific reason I gave there. I just gave a lot of examples that have frustrated me. We feel the credit, not credit to Milwaukee, but our record, the way that we've felt like everything like that, it feels exactly right. If I was to take in all the different circumstances, really truncated off season training camp, um, trying to put in new things on the fly, you have a a better guard, um, but you're still trying to like figure out his role. We feel exactly right where we are right now. Now we might end up at the end of the season here, just sneaking in for the top seed, just because the other teams either don't care or injuries or whatever. But like three seed in the East feels exactly right for this team right now. And uh, that doesn't preclude them from having success in the postseason because they have had flashes. But it's just it's been too on again, off again throughout the season for me to say. And clearly, as we saw last year, they don't have a switch to flip. They're just kind of whatever mood they're in going into the playoffs is what they're going to be. Um, And so all of that considered that I think that kind of explains where I was like, they could. I'm not going to guarantee it. I don't think anybody should guarantee anything, but they feel exactly where they should be right now. Yeah, and I think the lowered expectations might help them. Mm-hmm. The first year, I mean, the first year there was not that many expectations at first. They were just, okay, we're not Jason Kidd, and that's great, and everyone's <laughs> happy with that. And it was great. It was. And they stormed to the number one seed, and they were confident. They were miles ahead of the number one seed, and everyone's like, okay, cool, and then ran into a buzz of the Toronto Raptors of Kawhi Leonard. Okay, you get over that. Then they get into next year, the next year, and again, they just storm away and blow everyone away and, and blowing teams out left and right, and then a pandemic hits, and then they fall apart in the bubble. So I think going into this year, at least now there's less. I feel like maybe the lower expectations, you know, I don't think it's an overwhelming Milwaukee should win the East compared to last year. Milwaukee, everyone, I think everyone had – Milwaukee pretty comfortably winning the East. Well, now it's you might get fifty percent of the support. You know, most people are still leaning toward Brooklyn. Maybe there's the one misguided fool that's going with Philly, but <laughs> at least now the, I think the lower expectations will help Milwaukee and playing at home, playing in their actual arena with fans might help them. So I'm not bullish on their chances, but I at least feel as though. The marginal upgrades, the lower expectations, and playing in front of your own fans should at least make give Milwaukee a legit chance. Yeah, I'd say I'd say seventy percent confident. Yeah, and I am I am more confident than I have been in past years. There, there's just been a few things and and that have that have frustrated me this year, and it's probably part of it is the truncated season. And, and the good thing is, very clearly, we have these three players locked up. So maybe, you know, there's, I feel a little less stress than I've a lot less stress than if Giannis was still going to be a free agent after this postseason. So also true. (laughs) Yeah. That has been very helpful. All right. Let's, let's touch real briefly on this end of the end of the roster room. So the Bucks have essentially filled out their roster. Now they end up uh, converting Mamadi Diakite into a multi-year deal from his two-way slot. So he's signed with, uh, I think, team options through 2022 and 23. They signed Justin Jackson, the former first round pick out of UNC to the final two-way spot. Any uh, any opinions on either of those players, Riley? Excitement over Mamadi or Justin Jackson? Um, not particularly. I think it's cool that we finally got like the hinky special where we lock up a young guy. Uh, essentially, we take all his productive years and he gives us we give him like no money at all. I think that's really cool. 
Um, I, I think it's a good thing whenever you identify a guy like an undrafted free agent and you believe him in enough and he does enough to show you like, oh, we should convert this guy. I mean, it's a good path, especially for a team like us, where it's like, oh, it's going to be sort of hard to keep building on top of this. If you can show even like marginal guys like, oh, if you're a young guy who wants to take a bet, we will eventually like you can get a role here. You can kind of carve out something if you try. I think that's good for saying a tone. I have no feelings about Justin Jackson. I already thought he was a buck. I had no idea he wasn't a buck. It felt like, I don't know why. I saw like the Photoshop of him in a Bucks uniform. Like He looks like he's been wearing that for all his seasons in the NBA. So uh, I have very low expectations. Um, you know, good for Diakite. Go, go get your NBA dream, sir. Good for you. Yeah, Justin Jackson, I forgot he existed. I, I felt like after the draft, I just he just completely disappeared off the face of the earth for me. So cool, I guess. I mean, he played with Luke May, so I don't know like how much talent could really be there when you play with Luke May. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Um, in terms of Diakite, I mean, good for him for getting the contract. It, I mean, he seems to fit in well with the whole team. He seems to use at least see what's there. And when you are so strapped for cash and assets, any young player that has shown something can be useful down the road. And because of how the contract is structured, it's at least wor- it's worth a flyer. Maybe, you know, after departures of guys like Bryn and Bobby and PJ Tucker, that gives Diakite a chance to maybe we'll see what happens when he has rotational minutes. I don't know how good he's going to be. I feel at least his floor is. He is not DJ. Like, it's not like DJ Wilson, where it's like, okay, we don't know. Like, he had one stretch, he was fine. But other than that, he just, we don't think he's capable of being an NBA player. At least with Diakite, I feel like if he threw him on a trash team, he would get stats kind of like a Christian would almost without, you know, having to subtweet every 10 seconds. So good on him. It's worth taking a flyer. It's worth having a young player that might be something on a team contract for a couple of years. Agreed. You guys, I, I don't have anything else to add. So there we go. Diakita's on the team. I feel like right. at least now Buck Sweater will not set the world on fire. If, if they had let Diakite go, I feel like there would have been a shit show that would have happened. That's true. And, and we're all about just keeping the discourse as, as clean and nice as possible. So mm-hmm. good, good on the we are all about. At least tolerable. Granted, mm-hmm. I'm still going to hate a lot of people on there, but let's just at least just not start a civil war that makes me want to question why I'm even on this damn app. Yeah. To- tolerable is a better word. Good call, Kyle. All right. We're going to take a quick break on the other side of this miscellaneous topics. Close it out. Stay tuned. All right. We're back. It's time for rapid fire. I wrote some rapid fire questions here. I'll go through this. Probably sh- shouldn't take too long. Um, they, all never, right. they, all, they never do. They're always very <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Creamy. I'm team creamy as well. I'll get a, a jar of crunchy every once in a while. Just be like, let's did I change? Did my palate change? It doesn't do it for me. It really doesn't. No disrespect. I'll have crunchy if you have it, but I'm, Ugh, I'm going to choose no. creamy. I'll, 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 yeah, no. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. Um, that's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay. Expansion teams in the NBA, and they're so locked in on the Bucks end of the roster that they know they're going to want two of these three guys. Which one of these three young players are you keeping for on the Milwaukee Bucks? Diakite, Merrill, or Wara? I'm going to go with Wara. 
because I feel like Merrill is just a dude that can shoot. You can find those anywhere. You literally can just go to the Mountain West Conference and draft another dude that looks exactly like him. You can get another Merrill. <laughs> Diakite is interesting, but I'm sure there's going to be another player like him who is still someone that in the modern NBA can play a couple of positions, but... I mean, did you not see what Jordan Ward did yesterday? He came off the bench ice cold and just started dropping buckets like it's nothing. He can get buckets. And I've been hitching my I've been hitching my wagon to Jordan Wara since day one. So I gotta pick Jordan Wara. I would probably pick War as well. I feel not strongly about any of them. So if they wanted all three, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. As long as it gets something in exchange. Um Wara is a bucket. He is a microwave off the bench, which is cool, and it is a lot of fun. Um he can't defend at all, and he he can't. He's got Dante DiVincenzo esque uh, tendencies around the rim. Not great things for a guy who's like I don't know how tall is he, like six seven, six eight, or something like that. He he's a taller guy, and he can't finish, which is a problem. Um, but he scores a lot, which is fun. So I'll take the entertainment factor. And like you said. There's a million Sam Merrills out there. No disrespect, Sam, uh, but there's a million you guys out there. Wisconsin probably has one sitting on their bench as we speak. Who knows? <laughs> if Wisconsin had one on their bench, I tell you what, they would have been a lot better than they have been <laughs> the last couple of years. I'll tell you what. All right. Next one. Um, oh, favorite jam. Do you have a preferred jam flavor? I'm, or jelly? I'm a, I'm a strawberry guy. Um, if you're going for the basements, I'll do like some crazy, like the, like a lingonberry. I don't know if you've ever had a lingonberry jam. They eat a lot of that in Germany. Very, very good. But I would go for strawberry where I can usually find it at a grocery store. Yeah, I would lean towards strawberry as well, but also salmonberry. Salmonberry is very, very good as well. What is that? It's kind of, it's not like, it's like more of a fruity. It's almost like a raspberry strawberry like mix like it's somewhere like along the raspberry strawberry area it's really good i know like in alaska they sell it a bunch i don't know if they have it in continental usa but over in alaska that is a big thing it it looks like a orange raspberry like an orangey red raspberry with a lot of i mean it's hairy too it's a hairy berry yeah okay we can keep going that sounds delicious wow okay (laughs) uh all right Per 36 on the Milwaukee Bucks, who per 36 minutes is averaging the most three-point attempts per game? And the thing about per 36 is we all know if you then play that guy for 36 minutes, he would replicate the, the exactly. production. That, that's why I've chosen the, yes, the most accurate metric. I would say Brent Forbes. I feel like Brent Forbes comes off the bench and just fires up like two or three threes right away. I'll, I'll say Brent Forbes. I would say uh, Bobby Portis. He gets it. He when he gets out there, he takes a lot of threes. He goes and in his limited minutes, he he does it a lot. All right, I got go. my note. I got my notebook here. Number one, former Buck DJ Wilson. We won't count him. Obviously, okay. nine point six. Uh, That's crazy. He got a in those twenty seconds he played this season. No, Kyle's right though. It's Bryn Forbes. Nine three point attempts per thirty six minutes. Now the rest, the rest of the guys. Number mm-hmm. number number two is Wara at eight point two. Sounds about right. (laughs) Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill at 7.4. Good. Sounds right. Dante DiVincenzo at 6.8. Yeah. That shouldn't be happening. (laughs) Bad Jonathan (laughs) at 6.1. Yep. And then Brooke Lopez. And then Chris Middleton. Okay. Chris. Chris. 
you gotta do better than that. And we didn't talk about how bad he was against Philly. <laughs> Like, we just swept that on the rug, but he was absolute ass. Chris, you got to do better both <laughs> after that Philly game and shooting more threes per 36. Come on now. How much money did he make in that game? And he scored four points in 19 minutes. I mean, kudos to him. He deserves all the cash. But like, Good for him for making oh. free throws. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway, that was kind of interesting. I think to your point, though, Riley, perhaps Bobby Porter should be higher on that list, given how well he's shooting. Um, are you, he... he Maybe shoot a little higher volume of threes. He's like forty eight percent so far. So I love. He's very deliberate about it too. He does the same exact. There's no moving. He's very deliberate. Gets it. Step. Shoot. Gets it. Step. Shoot. And there's nobody that can stop him. They. they everybody sags off him forever. He's been very good from three this season. Absolutely. All right. Last one. You're at a boozy brunch. I'm not sure if you guys like boozy brunches, but just pretend for this case. Do you do you get a mimosa or a bloody mary? Mimosa. I hate bloody marys. I'm team mimosa as well. I got nothing against Bloody Marys, but I'm looking for something with a little bit of bright juice going on that early morning. I'd go for mimosa. Okay. Does it ever bother you that the mimosa is like a champagne flute and it's so small and it's like $13 for this yeah. little bit? Like, just put that in a glass. Come on now. Like, if you're going to give a Bloody Mary in a freaking beer stein mug for $2, then give me a goddamn <laughs> a, mimosa. Chicken, a whole ass chicken on <laughs> like top. Like you're giving of me the food. burger, you're giving me a whole beer stein, you're giving me a beer chaser, and it's like two fifty, and yet I gotta pay for this tiny ass flute glass. Like how boozy is the champagne? Mm-hmm. No, give me a regular glass of orange juice and cha- like give me a regular glass of mimosa. I will gladly pay thirteen dollars for it at least. But like if I'm getting a little flute glass for that, and then a freaking Bloody Mary that I hate with a passion is two fifty, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> the thing about brunch is I already know they're going to have me over the barrel and it's going to be $14 for that French toast. So I'm like, whatever. I Money's unlimited today. So just keep, keep bringing the mini mimosas for me for $15. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. That's all I got. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to predictions. Uh, and of course, we need a four-game week this late in the season. Almost all of these games are irrelevant against teams that suck. But of course, we got to fit in 72 games. So Sunday, we face the Atlanta Hawks. By the time you're listening to this, maybe that game's already happened. Tuesday, at the Charlotte Hornets. Thursday, at the Rockets. Friday, at the Bulls. What are you thinking, Kyle? Give me 4-0. Atlanta and Charlotte's going to be tough, but I think Milwaukee gets the win. The Rockets are travesty and a tire fire, which that is what their fans deserve. They absolutely deserve this terrible team. Christian Wood is going to try and take every shot and score 50, and I think the Rockets are just injured as hell. So they're going to be a mess, and the Bulls are the Bulls. Come on now. 4 0. I'm going to go three and one. I think we'll lose against the Hornets just because they, they play as well. Anyhow, and they, they're like one of the, them and the Hawks. The Hawks are super injured, so we're probably going to beat the Hawks. Um, the Hornets have something to play for. And I'm not sure if uh, – is LaMelo on his way back? Do we have any sort of update? I, I think he, he got like cleared. Or, I think he got cleared to do basketball activities. I don't know if he's back oh, okay. back. All right. Well, they have more to play for, so we'll probably lose to them. But I think, yeah, the Bulls are tra- – I'm not sure if they've even won a game since they're really, really bold trade deadline moves. And then they went on <laughs> and lost like 20 games in a row. Losers. Uh, and like I said, Houston sucks. So, yeah, 3-1 and one, we'll lose against the Hornets. I'm going with Kyle. I'm going 4-0. Bucks will be on a six-game winning streak heading into that big game next Sunday at Brooklyn. They'll be able to build it up. Everyone will probably rest. Um, and then, <laughs> it's lose by 40. Yeah, that's a really good beat down. But I think they're going to go 4-0 this week. 
All right. Well, that'll do it. Good to be back on the pod with you guys. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com for all our usual coverage. Share the podcast with your friends. Make sure to subscribe. Review us if you want and uh, follow us on Twitter. And we'll talk to you again soon.